Welcome to The Rabbit Room. I'm Andrew Peterson. For more information about the songs, writers, and artists featured here, please visit rabbitroom.com. Rabbit Room theme song composed and performed by Ben Shive. For the next few episodes of the Rabbit Room podcast, we'll be hearing those Advent writings from Russ Ramsey, Rabbit Room contributor and pastor at Oak Hills Presbyterian Church in Overland Park, Kansas. After the Lord cast them out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve went on to have children of their own, two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain worked the fields, Abel tended the livestock. And when these two brought the fruit of their labors before the Lord, Cain became jealous of his brother's offering. Cain brooded and he sulked certain that the Lord favored his brother's submission over his own. Now, like his parents before him, he tried to hide this from God, but the Lord sought him out and warned him. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain did not. It ruled over him until he found himself stained in blood, standing over the lifeless body of his brother. Even less satisfied, even more angry. When Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, the Lord sent them out of the garden east of Eden. After Cain killed his brother Abel, the Lord cast him out even further. But still there remained God's promise that from the woman Eve, one would come who would destroy this evil, which was so steadily and so comprehensively manifesting itself in every corner of creation and in every human heart. Already, from the time of the first woman and the first man and their first two sons, the world needed saving. God's promise was that the line from Eve to this Savior would be a line unbroken. Later, Eve would have another son, Seth, and he would become their heir, the one on whom God's favor would rest. Generations later, from the line of Seth, would come a man named Noah, the father of the only surviving family of the earth's great flood. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem was the oldest, and he was the heir of his father's blessing, the one on whom God's favor rests. Generations later still, from the line of Shem, would come a man living in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sareg, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphashad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. 
together with his wife, Sarah, and their servants, Abram, as he was known then, packed up and set out from the only home that he had ever known there in Ur. And he and those with him traveled over 1,000 miles along the rivers and across the deserts of Haran. And he had done it all because of a promise. A promise. The Lord had appeared to him, saying, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram believed this promise from God And though it would mean a profound separation from everything he had ever known, he set out in faith. But this was an impossible journey. As for following the Lord, Abram had no scriptures. He had no records of saints who had gone before him. Even his own father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. As for the Lord's promise of Land and of heirs. Well, Abram was traveling to a place that he couldn't even locate on a map to become the father of a nation, though he himself had no children of his own. And so along the way, sometimes Abram's faith wavered. He thought about God's proclamation that he would become a great nation, but this is impossible without sons. He thought about God's promise that Abram would bless the world by making his name great. But Abram was just a nomad who had uprooted his entire family from any semblance of security or of name or of place in this world. And yet the words rolled around in his head, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How could this be? One night in particular, as Sarah's husband sat with the weight of the world on his shoulders, the Lord came to him in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Your reward shall be very great. Abram answered, O Lord, what will you give me? You've given me no offspring. The closest thing that Abram had to an heir was this servant of his, Eliezer of Damascus. Maybe Eliezer of Damascus would have to suffice. Maybe the Lord would settle for servants instead of sons. Maybe this was all God really wanted anyway. Servants. But no, in that moment, the Lord took this struggling man out beneath the desert sky at night and he pulled back the blanket of self-doubt that Abram had been smothered under and revealed this canopy of glimmering stars that was too vast to count. God answered, responded 
to Abram's interferes with this spectacle of glory, telling him to look at them and to number them if he could. And under that midnight sky, the Lord assured Abram that his descendants would, in fact, outnumber and outshine these stars above him. His descendants, his heirs, would take possession of the land the Lord had sworn to him, this promised land. Could Abram keep trusting in what he had not experienced? Or for that matter, in something that he could never do for himself? If Abram was to trust at all, it would have to be a living, daring confidence that God would do what he had said he would do. And there, in the middle of the desert, under that brilliant, starry sky, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He understood that the Lord had not come to him merely to make him a wealthy landowner with many sons. This was not why God called him out of Ur. From Abram, this descendant of Shem, the son of Noah, the descendant of Seth, the son of Adam and Eve, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God said, I am your shield, your very great reward. God wasn't calling Abram's future descendants merely to land or to power. He was calling them to himself. But what about this land? How am I to know that I shall possess it, Abram asked. Rather than simply tell him, the Lord would show him, would demonstrate for him how he could know for certain that he would possess this land. God told Abram to prepare a sacrifice, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, and a young dove and a young pigeon. Abram gathered these things, and with everything except the birds, he cut them into halves, and he arranged them opposite each other with an aisle in the middle. And then he waited. He waited. He waited for the Lord to come and do something. And as he waited, the buzzards came down on the carcasses, melding together this holy moment with this common moment, a sacrifice prepared as unto the Lord, attracting hopeful carrion crow as the priest waiting for the Lord to descend drives them away with a stick. Soon Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness comes over him. And the holy terror of the Lord God Almighty fills the place where Abram waited with his bloody offering. This was the kind of darkness that you feel beneath the skin, teeming with all manner of power that can turn a man inside out. And from this darkness comes a voice. And it is the voice of God. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs 
and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in that fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Abram wanted to know how he would gain possession of the land. So God tells him the history of what would come. In terrifying detail, Abram's descendants would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years in a foreign land. And after those 400 years, the Lord would judge their oppressors and would bring Abram's descendants back to this place where Abram now stood. And they would possess that land. As for Abram, when the time came, he would die in peace and he would be laid to rest with his fathers. As God spoke these words to Abram, the earth shook. God shook it. With Abram beside his sacrifice in this dreadful darkness before the presence of the Lord, a covenant was being cut. A lasting promise, a binding oath, a bond was being formed in blood. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And Abram understood. When God passed between the pieces of Abram's sacrifice in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, it was to convey that if God did not keep his promise, he too should be cut in half. God was not ashamed to be called Abram's God. God cut a covenant to be Abram's God and to take Abram and his descendants as his people. Though at this point he had none, God passed between the pieces. And Abram watched him do it.